How are we? Yeah, that's better, yes. <laughs> it's nice to see you all, and I uh, hope that you have had a good week, enjoyed the sunshine, and uh, we were talking before the gathering, just recognising uh, the reality that it is spring, and so we should expect that it's going to rain some of the time. We know it's a bit of a downer because it's been so nice, but uh, the rain is good too, especially for those of us who have gardens, we don't have to water as much, so uh, glad that you're here with us today. To begin our message, I want to ask you, have you ever been scared by the weather? Have you ever had a moment where the weather kind of scared you or intimidated you? It could be that you were caught in a storm somewhere and uh, it was just kind of terrifying or it could be one of those nights where uh, often in the spring and in the autumn we have those nights where the weather changes radically. So we have those big thunderstorms, so big like boom of thunder and kind of freaked you out a little bit. Or it could even just be being a bit scared by even what's going on. Uh, in the eastern states at the moment, in terms of all the flooding that's happening over there, the weather at times can be very, very intimidating. And uh, I grew up on the York Peninsula, so from when I was three until I was 10, we lived uh, in Yorktown on the York Peninsula, and then when I was 10, we moved to Strathalban, up in the hills, and we would go back to Stansbury, which is near Yorktown, uh, every January for school holidays, and we would stay in the caravan park there and uh, reconnect with people. And I have this very, very vivid memory of being a kind of early teenager, and there was this forecast of a storm that was going to roll in one afternoon. And so we all day were preparing for this thing, and then kind of mid-afternoon we started to see it, and we could actually see it coming across the gulf. So just these thick black clouds, this band of them that were coming in. And so we were told that our responsibility as young kids was to go and stand in our annex, so the tent bit of the caravan, and hold on to a pole so that it didn't get blown away. Now you can imagine how that felt and some of the imagery that we had in our minds as this storm is coming our way. I'm picturing the Wizard of Oz and just getting like blown away and taken off and landing somewhere else. And so we could hear the wind starting to pick up. Everything got ridiculously dark. And so we're standing in this annex holding onto a pole each waiting for this storm. And so sure enough, it came and it rattled everything and blew and it was absolutely crazy and we survived, obviously. We didn't get blown away, obviously, as well. Uh, but it was a very, very vivid memory for me. And sometimes the wind and the weather can be very, very intimidating. And we're going to have a look at a story today that comes from the Book of Acts uh, where the early church had exactly that experience. We're doing this series at the moment that's called Where To From Here, where we're taking some time to recognise that we're in a new season and a new chapter as a church. There's been a lot that's been going on over the last couple of years, but as we head towards the end of this year, there is a sense where something new is starting. But there's a lot of uncertainty in that. As we think about what's ahead of us, as we think about all the stuff that's going on with our building, as we think about uh, where we kind of go and having new people connect in, there's lots and lots of questions for us. And so we're using this series as an opportunity to dig into the experience of the early church and to recognise that they didn't have it all together either. They had significant amounts of uncertainty, and so there's a lot that we can learn from some snapshots that we're going to explore over the next few weeks. So we kicked this series off two weeks ago. Melinda uh, did kind of a pre-intro message uh, where she spent some time unpacking a little bit about our connection with Indigenous uh, reconciliation and relationships. And in some ways that was us posing the question, where to from here with that? Because that's been a big part of who we are as a church. So where do we go from here uh, from that perspective? Then last week, uh, Mark uh, kind of really kicked off the series by looking at Acts chapter 1 and uh, the experience that the first disciples had of standing there and watching Jesus ascend to heaven. 
being like, okay, what happens now? And I found what Mark shared last week really helpful in terms of challenging us about whether we believe that the message of Jesus is about comfort and safety or whether it is actually about risk and imagination and adventure. As the early church wrestled with those things, they had to come to grips with the reality that following Jesus didn't mean more comfort and more safety, but it was actually about stepping out. And so I feel very challenged about us, uh, that for us as well as we begin this new season. Unfortunately, uh, last week's message, so if you're wondering what's happening with our podcast, we've had a few technical difficulties over the last few weeks, it's fair to say, so, but I'm pleased to say that we have managed to salvage uh, two weeks ago and three weeks ago. So the Q&R Sunday that we did a few weeks ago, which I know some of you are waiting for, we have actually got, it's not uploaded yet, but we have got it, and then Melinda's message from two weeks ago we also have, so those will be up shortly. Unfortunately, we can't salvage last week's message, so you just have to trust me that Mark did a spectacular job, and next time you see him, you can ask him, can you share your whole message with me, because I didn't get to hear it, and uh, we'll go from there. But today we're going to head back into this narrative of the early church and uh, see what we can learn from them. So if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. If you've got the Bible app with you, then uh, our notes are there, so you can go to more down in the bottom corner and then events and uh, tap on Richmond and uh, you'll find that. Or if you've got your journal or a notebook, uh, you can grab that so that you can take down some notes. So, context for this passage that we're looking at today is that it does follow on from what we did unpack a little bit last week. So, the disciples have spent this time with Jesus. So, Jesus has died, he's come back to life, and the disciples have then spent about 40 days hanging out with Jesus. And I wish that we had more content about what those conversations were, because I reckon they probably unpacked some pretty good things. Uh, But they get to this point where they ask Jesus, okay, is it go time? kind of this expectation that the revolution is going to start. They were still operating from this mindset that Jesus as the Messiah had come as a military ruler to overthrow the Roman government and to restore Israel to its former glory. So uh, last week we looked at that reality that for them there was this expectation, okay, Jesus, is now the time that the revolution is going to begin? And Jesus says, "Uh, no, and leaves which would have been a pretty scary experience. And certainly, if I was one of the first disciples, you'd kind of be looking around at each other saying, what on earth are we supposed to do now? We had Jesus. He died. We thought that we'd lost him. Then he came back. This has been great. And now he's gone. What are we supposed to do at this point? And so we're told that they then made their way to this upper room, so a smallish room probably, where they then kind of gathered together to wrestle with what happened next. And we can kind of imagine that it was probably a room that wasn't much bigger than this, because we're told that there was about 120 of them. So we have 100 seats in this room. So you can imagine a few more than what we've got seats here is how many people were a part of the early church. And they huddled together and wrestled with this reality that Jesus is now not physically with them, They have no clue about what they're supposed to do next. But also the reality is that the Romans and the religious leaders were still in this place where they also were aware about this idea of revolution. That was why Jesus had been killed in the first place, was to try and stamp that out. And they certainly didn't want that to get out of hand where now there's a bunch of people walking around saying that Jesus came back from the dead. So they know that the Romans are out to get them as well, and the religious leaders want them stamped out too. And so as they huddle together, there's this fear of persecution, and what's all that going to look like, and what's that going to mean, as well as that sense of uncertainty. So I want you to actually imagine yourself in that room and in that scene. If it's helpful, feel free to close your eyes. But I want you to actually picture yourself in that room 
with 120 people together. It's probably some people sitting on chairs, maybe. Definitely there will be some people sitting on some cushions, probably a bunch of people sitting around on the floor. Groups of kind of smaller groups, some people probably talking in some hushed tones, some people who might be praying together, some people who might be having some more animated discussions, probably some food in one part of the room that some people may be helping themselves to. But tap into the sense of emotion that would have been there, a sense of the vibe of what that room would have felt like. And this huge question, where on earth do we go from here? What is supposed to happen now? Because that's where we pick up the narrative today. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So again, I want you to imagine yourself in that room as all of this unfolds. So you know the temperature of the room and how everyone's feeling, but now all of a sudden this wind starts to pick up. And you wonder, did someone open a door or a window? And like there's this breeze that started, but it's getting louder and it's getting louder and it's louder. And if you've ever been out in a windstorm, you know what that's like. This isn't just a gentle breeze that's kicking through. Imagine everything rattling, things blowing all around the place, and the howling of the wind that's going on in this moment. And in the fear of what that feels like, you look around and you start to see that above people's heads are these little flames. These tongues of fire sitting above other people's heads. I don't know about you, but that's something I've never seen or experienced. And it kind of would probably freak me out a little bit about what's going on with the fire that's going over there. Is this going to burn people up? Like, what's happening? And then on top of that, you start to realise that as people start to speak, they speak in all of these different languages. So you can imagine the noise that then starts to pick up as people try and talk over the volume of the wind but also are just talking in all of these different languages. And you yourself might open your mouth and suddenly realise that you're speaking in a language that you've never, ever learnt before. Imagine the sense of chaos that would have been going on in this moment. For us, we kind of look at this event that's called Pentecost, that we refer to it as now, and we think about how amazing it must have been to be in that room, the sense of like the awesome demonstration of the power of God coming by the Holy Spirit on people, the counsellor, the advocate, the one that Jesus had promised has finally arrived, and how awesome would that have been? But I'm not convinced that that's actually what the experience would have been in the moment. I think it probably would have been more terrifying and scary than it would have been this awesome experience. And there's a lot that's going on here in terms of symbolism, as well as all the chaos. There's this very symbolic stuff that's happening. So first of all, we've got the wind that's blowing. And so throughout Scripture, the word spirit is actually the same word that's often translated as wind and sometimes is translated as breath. So those words are actually all exactly the same, it's just translated in different ways. And so when we think about the spirit as wind, we think about the spirit kind of blowing through, clearing things out. But when we think about the spirit as breath, we think about new life being restored, being oxygenated as we breathe in the spirit. So there's this huge symbolism that as the spirit comes into the room, everything's cleared out. New life is suddenly presented to them. We've also got the symbolism 
of the fire. And throughout the Old Testament in particular, the fire and the Spirit of God are often linked together. And so we think about the Israelites being led by a pillar of fire, this idea of light, being able to see the way forward. This is where we need to go because the fire gives clarity about that. Often fire, when we think about it, is warmth. And so that experience of God warming us is something that comes from the Holy Spirit. The most uh, often way that it's talked about is in terms of being consecrated or being purified. This idea that fire burns away junk, just gets rid of stuff that's not necessary. And particularly in terms of the refining of precious metal, it heats it up so that all the junk kind of dissolves away and all you're left with is the pure version of what's supposed to be there. That's the imagery of fire that's used in terms of the spirit throughout the Old Testament. And so here, this fire is resting on all of the people who are in that room. But what's fascinating is that that shifts from something that's just an external experience. We can imagine that that would have been pretty significant if they just experienced the wind blowing, just experienced the little tongues of fire sitting above people's heads. But then we're told that all of them were filled with the spirit. So this moves from something that's just an external experience that they kind of see happening around them to something that they sense happens inside of them that they're filled with the Spirit, they're filled with the breath of God, and they're filled with the fire of God. New life is given to them as they breathe in the Spirit. They can see things clearly. They have this sense of being warmed relationally by the Spirit and this sense of being refined in that moment as well. So that's what's happening inside the room, but imagine how that would have been perceived by the people who are walking past. In verse 5, we read, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And uh, these next couple of verses are the reason why I decided that I would read this passage today, not ask someone else to do it. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. So a lot of people from a lot of different places, basically. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages and the wonderful things that, about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. So we think back to the first verse. We're told that all of this is occurring on the day of Pentecost. So pente means five. And so uh, this is a festival that was something that was going back a long way for the Israelite people. It was actually also called the Festival of First Fruits, which is really hard to say fast. So Festival of First Fruits was something that happened that they celebrated a lot. So a bit of history for us. Uh, The Passover, which the Israelite people celebrated, was the reminder of that time when God had set them free from slavery in Egypt. And so they would have the Passover festival, which many of us are very familiar with. But then 50 days later, there's an understanding that that's when Moses, up on Mount Sinai, was given the Ten Commandments. So that happened 50 days later, and so they continued to celebrate this festival called the Festival of First Fruits 50 days after Pentecost had happened but it was also called Pentecost. 
So lots of people would come from all over the world back to Jerusalem to celebrate these festivals. It was a really, really significant thing. And some people would come for a Passover festival, and because they'd come from so far away, they would just stay for the next few weeks until they got to the festival of first fruits or to Pentecost. Other people would come, they would hang out at, Pentecost, uh, at Passover, then they'll go home, and then they would come back for this. But Jerusalem, as the spiritual heart of Israel, was absolutely packed for the Pentecost festival when all of this is going on. And so imagine that you're in this crowded city, and then you just happen to walk past this house, and you hear what's going on inside. There's no way that a mighty windstorm was just kind of happening in the room. Now, we don't know whether there was any sense of the wind blowing around the house or blowing the house or anything like that, but if it was that loud, there's no question that you would have been able to hear the wind that was going on in there, and you absolutely, we know, would have heard all of these people speaking in all of these different languages. So if you're walking along the road past this house, you're like, what on earth is going on there? But then as you start to tune in, you realise suddenly that people are speaking your language and you're in a place that's not where you're actually from. And so if you've ever travelled overseas and gone to a country where they speak a language that's other than English, you've probably had this experience where you hear someone speaking English in the midst of what you're not used to hearing, you're like, oh, that's the language that I know. Or even if you've travelled to another country or even another part of Australia, where their dialect is slightly different to ours, you recognise that you hear someone else speaking with an Australian accent, you're like, oh, that's so familiar to me. That's the experience that these people would have had coming out of absolutely nowhere, walking on the street, hearing this noise, and suddenly being able to hear someone speak clearly in your language. It's no wonder that we read over and over again that they were amazed, that they were perplexed, that they were bewildered, is how on earth is all of this going on? We then read in verse 13, but others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk. That's all. And I really love that this is where some people's mind goes to, <laughs> that uh, this must be the answer why a bunch of uneducated people can suddenly speak fluidly in other, fluently in other languages. Well, fluidly, maybe they were drinking. Fluently in other languages is because they're drunk. And so we read on a couple of verses later, and Peter stands up, and he's like, um, it's nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Give us some sense of credit. Like, we've been up for a little while. Most people would have gotten up around six at dawn, but come on now, we're not that drunk. <laughs> it's too early for that sort of behaviour to be on. But Peter then continues, once he's got everyone's attention, and gives the most incredible speech and I would encourage you this week to take some time to read the rest of Acts chapter 2 because it is really staggering what an amazing job Peter does of being able to explain the whole history of everything and to be able to then explain what Jesus came to do and what it means to respond to that. But as you read that and as we think about it, we recognise who this guy Peter is. This is Peter who was an expert at grabbing his foot and inserting it firmly into his mouth over and over and over again. So many times Peter made these amazing mistakes where he would just kind of step up and say, no, no, I got this, it's really great, and make a complete fool of himself. This is the same Peter who we know said to Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you, there's no way I will. Like, I'll die if I have to. And then a few hours later, Peter denies Jesus, denies that he even knows him, not just once, 
not just twice, but three times. This is the same Peter. Now, we do know that Peter has been restored by Jesus. They've had a really great conversation where Jesus has shown that he has forgiven Peter for what happened there and restored him. But it's staggering to see how Peter goes from this guy who we see throughout the rest of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John into this guy who's able to stand up and with courage articulate the message of Jesus so powerfully. And we have to ask this question, how on earth did that happen? Because nothing has changed in the circumstances that all of the early church find themselves in. Jesus hasn't come back and suddenly reappeared physically amongst them. All of the threats of persecution haven't changed. No one's come and presented a plan and said, okay, this is what we need to do together. Everything is exactly the same with one exception. They've received the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. Peter goes from this guy who we see to this guy who can stand up and speak with courage. And all of the other things that we see unfold from here happen because of that one change as well, the power of the Holy Spirit. What's really staggering as we recognise that is that that same Holy Spirit is available to us today. The reality is nothing has changed at all. The Holy Spirit isn't different. The Holy Spirit is still available to every single one of us right now in this moment. And so as we wrestle with this question, where to from here, as we wrestle with this question, okay, what's supposed to happen now? We know that we can step into it with a sense of confidence, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're equipped by the Holy Spirit. We're gifted by the Holy Spirit. We're resourced by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do this on our own. We've got the same Holy Spirit that the early church had. And just to be clear, we need to remind ourselves about what the early church was like. Because sometimes we can kind of put them up on a pedestal and think of them as this amazing group of people. This was a ragtag group of kind of misfits, none of whom really belonged. A lot of them would have been late teenagers, early 20-somethings. Most of them were completely uneducated. They were certainly unexperienced. They weren't this group of people who had it all together, and yet they were able to tip the world upside down simply because they received and were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've been really challenged as I think about that this week and as I think about the journey that we're on to recognise how much more we've got than what the early church had. Think about how much more we understand about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do than the first followers of Jesus understood. Think about the reality that we've got these amazing things called Bibles where we can actually read the words of Jesus. None of that had been written down, and even if it was, they didn't have printing presses to print it, and most of them couldn't have read it anyway. So we've got Bibles where we can read these stories and where we can tap into the teaching of Jesus and understand what he's done for us. We've got unbelievable amounts of resourcing as a church compared to what that first group of people had. So what could God do through us if we're willing to open ourselves up and to allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have all of the answers. It's certainly not about us being qualified enough or experienced enough to be able to step into this. In the midst of all of the questions that we've got, all the things that we're wrestling with, the Holy Spirit is available to us right here, right now, and as we embark on this journey. 
But as I was kind of praying and reflecting a little bit more through this this week, there was a couple of other reasons why I think this is very significant for us based on the conversations that I've had with a number of you over the last few weeks. I think that there are two groups of people that we've got here at Richmond. People are experiencing a couple of different things. There's obviously lots of other things that are being experienced, but these will be a couple of examples. There are a number of us who are feeling like things are just a bit dry, that our experience of God has just kind of fallen into a little bit of a rut. I'm not really sure. It's like I am yearning for something more. I sense that there's supposed to be more to this thing following Jesus than what I'm experiencing, but I just don't know what it is. For some of us, we've maybe spent a lot of time trying to wrestle through intellectual questions and what am I supposed to believe, and even that hasn't necessarily satisfied us as we crave a deeper sense of connection with God. What we're really looking for is a sense of intimacy, a sense of relational connection with God that's meaningful and powerful and real to us. That's the role of the Holy Spirit is to help us to be able to connect with God in a tangible way, to be able to experience God to the depths of who we are. That comes not because we try harder. It comes not because we get all of our questions answered. It comes not because we kind of have everything sorted out, but simply by us being able to open ourselves up and say, Holy Spirit, fill me and help me to experience Jesus in a new way. There's also another group of us who are feeling quite overwhelmed and potentially inadequate as we step into the last part of this year. I know at times I feel that way as I think about where we are at and these questions that we're processing about where we go from here as I think about the challenge of what it's going to look like for us to try and find a new church home for us, as I think about what it looks like for us to build or reconnect with people in the neighbourhoods around us, as I think about what it looks like for us to be able to follow Jesus authentically, all together, as I think about what it looks like for us to be able to care for each other well, as I think about what it looks like for us to take people who are brand new to our church family and people who've been around a long time, take people who are kind of new to faith and following Jesus and people who've been doing that for a long time, it's complex and it's easy to feel overwhelmed about that. For many of you, I know that you're feeling overwhelmed about what it looks like to be a good parent, how to bring your kids up well, or how to have a healthy marriage, and what that looks like. For a lot of you, I know there's lots of pressures in terms of what your work looks like, whether that's in terms of the employees that you're responsible for, the things that you're responsible for, uh, the students that you're responsible for, the people that you care for in your jobs. A lot of us can feel very overwhelmed about that. We've got lots of uh, students who are at school, particularly Year 11, 12, and uni students. You guys are heading right into the heat of final assignments and exams. So I sense feeling overwhelmed around that as well. Some of us are sensing that God's calling us to step out into something new. The sense of courage that we need for that. It's like, I don't know if I've got what it takes to be able to step into what it is that God's calling me into. Even just what we talked about last week, the courageous embrace of Jesus' message, to be challenged about the fact that following Jesus is not supposed to be about safety and comfort. It is actually supposed to be about risk and imagination and adventure. I don't know, that can feel a little bit overwhelming. So for a lot of us, I think we're in that place where for all sorts of different reasons, we're at this point where we're like, I don't know, like I just feel overwhelmed or inadequate about what's ahead. I don't know if I can do that. 
And the good news for us is that God's response to that is excellent because I've got you exactly where I need you to be. Because when we reach that point, we realize it's not about us. It's actually about us opening ourselves up and saying, God, what can you do through me that is so much more powerful and amazing than anything that I can do on my own? And again, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. It's not because we get ourselves sorted and out enough. It's not because we somehow pluck up enough courage to step into those things. Because we allow ourselves to say, God, not what I can do, but what you can do in me and through me. Again, we think back to the early church, how intimidated, how overwhelmed, how scared they must have been, how uncertain they were. What did they do? Open themselves up to the Holy Spirit and everything that we're going to unpack in the next little while. Peter being able to stand up and explain the message of Jesus. Other disciples being able to come along outside other people and help them to discover the message of Jesus. People being healed. People being set free being able to form this thing that we now call the church. All of these things that we're going to talk about happened simply because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we've got the same opportunity to experience that. So this morning, I wanted to give us an opportunity to put that into practice. And uh, so you probably observed when you came in that there was a candle that was sitting uh, on your chair. So we're trying to think this week creatively about what it would look like for us to be able to experience the wind and the fire of the spirit. So we're like, do we get some gigantic industrial fans, have them blow through? Do we set some things on fire? It's probably not a great idea. Uh, So we settled down on uh, this idea of some candles representing the fire, and then we're going to do something with our breath in a moment. So uh, my excellent helpers are going to come around and light some of the candles, and then you can kind of pass that. Please be careful. We recognise this is a significant risk of what we're doing. Uh, If you don't feel comfortable doing it, that's completely fine. You can just take the candle home. What we're going to do is hold on to those candles as a reminder of the fire of the Spirit. And so you might use that as an opportunity to be able to reflect on the light of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who shows you the way forward. The Spirit is the one who shows you what Jesus is really like. As you hold that, no doubt it'll probably start to warm up a little bit. So there's that sense of relational connection and intimacy. So you might like to think a little bit about that. Or it could be that idea of purification and that reminder that the fire burns away the junk that gets in the way of us being able to experience God. So the fire you've got as an opportunity to be able to hold on to, and it may even be that that's just a helpful focal point to you, as we then take some time to experience the breath of the Spirit. So this is the other side of what we're going to focus on, is to actually breathe in the Spirit and to recognise that we can be filled with the Spirit. So we're going to take some deep breaths as we focus on our candles and be filled with the Spirit. And then as we breathe out, we breathe out the things that we know are getting in the way. And so that breathing out could look like breathing out those moments where I feel overwhelmed, those moments where I feel inadequate could be that there's something that comes to mind that you want to breathe out that you know is some of the junk that God wants to burn away. But we breathe in the Spirit, and we might even say in our minds as we breathe that in, fill me with your Spirit, and then we breathe out whatever it is that we want to let go of. The idea is that this is practice for us that we can then take into this week. And so you can take your candle home. And the hope is that this week, at least once, but maybe multiple times, maybe every day, you want to pull that candle out again and relight it 
and then again have the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit. As a reminder that it's not just when we get together that we've got the opportunity to experience this, but every moment of every day, the Spirit is with us, empowering us to do what only the Spirit can do. So we're going to take a few moments to be able to do that. I encourage you to take some deep breaths, breathe in the Spirit, allow yourself to be filled, and then breathe out whatever it is that you need to breathe out, and then I'll pray. Jesus, that is our prayer. Those words are so meaningful for us. So many of us are at the end of ourselves. As we head into the last part of this year, as we think about what's ahead of us, as we think about what next year looks like, as we think about where we're going as a church, there can be this sense of us just feeling completely overwhelmed and inadequate, or this sense of us wondering where it is that you've gone. Thanks that that's not just an experience that's ours, that so many people have also had that experience. Thank you that your first followers had those experiences and wrestled with those same questions. And we're so grateful to be able to enter into their experience where we see that your answer was to give them the Holy Spirit, to fill them with your presence, to fill them with your power, to give them the ability to experience you in a way that was radical, completely different to anything else that's ever been experienced by people in history. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the role that you play in our lives. You have so many different ways that you help us to be able to connect with God as our comforter, as our advocate, as the equipper, as our empowerer, as the one who even just prays on our behalf when we don't know what to pray. Thank you that you are available to us every single moment of every single day. I ask that in this moment you would fill each one of us to the fullest, fill us to overflowing with your presence so that we can be the people that you want us to be and do the things that you want us to do. Thanks that our responsibility is not to try and get our lives together enough, not to get to a point where we understand enough, not to have enough clarity that we can step forward in confidence in who we are, simply to open ourselves up to who you are and what you can do through us. So I pray in this moment that you would help us to experience that, but as we then step into this week, you would help us to take that with us and to recognise wherever we are, whatever we're doing, you are available to fill us in that moment, to equip us for what you want and need us to do. Continue to lead us, continue to guide us as we continue to work out where it is that you lead us from here. In your name we pray.